Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hi everyone, it's Brad. A few months ago, we brought you an episode about the life of the Japanese billionaire Masayoshi-san and his latest project, a $93 billion investment fund called the Vision Fund. It's hard to overstate the kind of impact that so much money is already having on the tech industry. So if you haven't heard that episode, I strongly recommend you go back and listen now. This week, we're bringing you a special conversation with the man himself. Masa, as he's known in the industry, recently spoke to David Rubenstein, the co-founder and co-CEO of the private equity firm The Carlyle Group. Their conversation was part of David's series on Bloomberg Television called Peer-to-Peer Conversations and was taped on September 19th in front of a live audience. There are some real gems and insights in this interview, like how Masa at only age 16, convinced the head of McDonald's Japan to meet with him. Please enjoy. You are clearly one of the world's most successful technology investors and one of the world's most successful businessmen. Let me start by asking you about a fund that you are now raising, the Vision Fund. It's supposed to be a fund of $100 billion? Yes. Now, that would be the biggest fund ever raised. So when you told people you were going to raise a $100 billion fund, did they tell you you were a little crazy? Well, some people said. You had a meeting with a man who was the deputy crown prince of Saudi Arabia, who's now the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. And as I understand the story, you went in, and in one hour, you convinced him to invest $45 billion. No, no, it's not true. Okay. 45 minutes... $45 $45 billion. Okay, sorry. Okay, I apologize. In other words, so if you had had... One, one, $1 billion per minute. What could you have said that was that persuasive to get $45 billion in one meeting? Well, actually, uh, I said, you came to Tokyo as the first time. I want to I give you a gift. I want to give you a, a massa gift, the Tokyo gift, a trillion dollar gift. And he opened up his eyes. I said, okay, <laughs> now it's interesting. All right. <laughs> so I woke up him and said, here is how we can give you a, I can give you a trillion dollar gift. You invest hundred billion dollars to my fund, I give you a trillion dollars. But what is it that you told people? What was the vision that you actually gave them? So one vision, which is singularity. Singularity is the concept that the computing power, computers' artificial intelligence, surpass uh, mankind's brains. The singularity is the concept. The word means that is the point at which a computer becomes smarter than a human brain. Yes. Today, already, computer is smarter than mankind for chess or go or weather forecast. 
to some expert systems, computer is already smarter. But in 30 years, most of the subject that we are thinking, they will be smarter than us. That's my belief. Let's go back and talk about your upbringing a bit. So you are of Korean descent. Your grandfather uh, came from Korea and moved to Japan many years ago. And your parents were born in Japan. Did you suffer discrimination growing up in Japan? Yes, I, I had some experience. Uh, but I feel now it was good. You know, that made me you know, stronger to work harder. Uh, so I had to prove that I am not different from any other guys, you know, not inferior, it's the same. So I had to work harder to prove the value. Your family adopted a Japanese name at one point. Well, actually in Japan, uh, there was at some period, Japanese government forced every Korean to change to Japanese name. So it was not their intention. That not, uh, it, we had to. You had change. to change. Okay. Had to change. That made me even more harder because I was feeling that I was hiding something. Now, it was even tougher. Now you did not grow up in Tokyo. Um, you grew up in a relatively small town, is that right? Yes. In, in, uh, in Japan? Yeah, in the southern in part. In the southern part of Japan. So at one point it is said that you were very interested in meeting the head of McDonald's. In McDonald's Japan. Why were you interested in meeting the head of McDonald's? Did you like McDonald's food or you just, what was it? No, he, 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 he wrote a book and that book became the bestseller. I was so impressed and said, oh my God, this is great. And the guy who wrote about it must be great. <laughs> so, so how old were you when you wanted to meet him? Uh, 16. 16. So you, you managed to get a meeting with him. I called his, his uh, assistant. And long distance call. Back then it was so expensive. I made almost 100 calls, 60 calls. And say, you know, this is my name. I'm a student. And could you ask him to spend me, share me some time? And could you ask him? And she said, oh, I will try. But he's, he's not going to meet with a student. I said, well, don't decide by yourself. Let him decide. Okay. So... I, I spoke with, with the assistant, different assistants, so many times, and, and they don't give me the right answer. So I said, okay, this is a waste of my telephone bill. So I flew into Tokyo. <laughs> and I said, I came, because the, the phone call become becoming more expensive than air ticket. <laughs> so what happened? And I said, well, tell him exactly the way I say you don't have to look at me. You don't have to talk to me. You can keep on working, whatever you are doing. I just want to see his face. <laughs> For three minutes. Okay. So I'm not bothering him. I just, I'm so impressed and respect him. I want to see him. And if, if you tell him that I'm not going to bother him, time is money, he says, I'm not going to damage his life, she actually asked. And he said, okay, okay. Actually, he spent 15 minutes with me, talking face to face. And he gave you some advice, which was to learn? Yeah, I asked him, what business should I do? 
Hmm. Computer. That's the one. If I were you, if at your age, at this time of the, you know, uh, this is, don't look at the past industry. Look at the future industry. That's the one, computer industry. That's the one you should focus. If I were you, that's the one. So I said, wow, great. Next, we'll hear Masayoshi-san talk about one deal he made, which many people consider to be the most successful investment ever. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Okay, we're back. Let's go back to David Rubenstein and Masayoshi-san. One of the investments you made is considered by many people to be the most successful investment in the history of mankind. You invested roughly $20 million in Alibaba, and at the time it went public, it was worth roughly $90 billion. So $20 million to $90 billion is a return of about 4,500%. Now, Jack Ma is a very distinguished individual now, now one of the most successful entrepreneurs in the world. What is it that made you feel this was worth putting in $20 million? Well, he had no business plan <laughs> and uh, zero revenue. Uh, employees, maybe 35, 40 employees. But his eyes was very strong, strong eyes, strong, shining eyes. Um, I could tell from the way he talked, the way he looked at, he has a charisma, he has a leadership. So his business model was wrong. It's the way he talked, the way you know, he can bring you know, young uh, Chinese people following him. Before Yahoo was so famous, you made an early investment in it, which was spectacularly successful. How did you hear of Yahoo? Yeah, Yahoo US was still private, 15 employees, and I convinced Jerian to take $100 million of our investment. So at the time we negotiated, we agreed they grew from 15 to 35 people, 30, 35 people. And we invest $100 million to own 35%, and actually went IPO and made a great return. And at the same time, I convinced him to start joint venture, board of Jiafu uh, Japan, where we put $1.2 million, they put $0.8 million, $2 million startup capital. We own 60%. Al, let's talk about one big mistake you made overall. Obviously, you're very successful in almost everything you've touched, but you were making a lot of internet investments around the turn of the century, around year 2000, 1999, 2001. The market went down in the, in, the, in the tech crash, and it is said that you personally lost $70 billion of net worth, the greatest loss that any human being has ever suffered financially. So how did you feel losing $70 billion of net worth? One year before that, actually, my net worth, personal net worth was increasing $10 billion per week. 
for three days, I became richer than Bill Gates. Wow. Was, did that upset him or? No, before I told to anybody else, you know, our stock started okay. crashing. Okay. <laughs> uh, so in, in uh, six months after that, our share price went down 99%. So we, we all almost went bankrupt. And somehow I survived. You rebuilt your business. And among the things you did was you bought some very well-known companies. So you bought uh, Vodafone's uh, uh, mobile telephone business in Japan. At that time, I said, now is the time to go next stage, which is the internet will become mobile internet. So I had to either get the license from the government for the spectrum or acquire Vodafone Japan. And first I applied for the uh, license to the government and the government said, no, there is no more spectrum. So I actually sued the government. And, uh, you know, for one year, big fight. But then, uh, then the Vodafone Japan became available. $20 billion, I had $2 billion, so $18 billion short. So where'd you get the money? So I convinced the bank, you know, that the Vodafone Japan, I'm going to turn around and become successful and become great cash flow. Believe me and lend me money. And they did. They did. And it turned out to be very successful. And recently, you did the biggest investment you've ever made in a company called ARM, yeah, which Arm. is yeah. Arm, which is a semiconductor manufacturer based in London. Why did you spend $31 billion buying a semiconductor manufacturer when many people think that that's not the future? It's uh, actually $34 billion. $34. Yeah. It's not the manufacturer, it's a design, design house. They design all the chip, chipset. They have 99% market share for any smartphone that you have in your pocket. Is ARM has 99% market share, right? In next 20 years, it's gonna be, they're going to ship one trillion chips, designed for one trillion chips. So I said, this is, this is the company. This is, you know, nobody can live in the, on the earth anymore without chip. Chip is everywhere, in the car, in your refrigerator, everywhere. So if, if chip is something that everybody needs, and if there is one company has 90% market share, there must be a value. They're not monetizing well enough, but if I own it, we can monetize much better. So that's my belief. So I think it's, the company is going to be more valuable than Google. So let me ask it's you not available. It's a private company now. <laughs> Now, in the future, you are a big believer in robots. It is your view, I guess, that artificial intelligence is a good thing and ultimately will not hurt humanity. Is that correct? Right. So you don't worry that, that robots could become so smart they could wipe out humanity, as some people worry. Yeah, there is a danger of that. There is a danger. But if you look at the mankind history, people were killing each other with many battles diff among different tribes and the race and so on. Uh, but today's world, we don't have that kind of things everyday life. 
we, we are more civilized. So when the robot super intelligence go beyond mankind's intelligence, and they say, well, fighting is the not efficient way of living, the harmony is better, it's more social. So we, we're going to live in harmony, and they think about us, they help us, and they try to amuse us and have a, a, a good love each other. What gives you the greatest pleasure in the world? Well, the thing is, you know, I have a vision. I have a vision of singularity that's really coming. So we create a vision fund, right? We go and change the world together and create a better world, better world for, for human living. Uh, so that excites me, you know, what is thinking about what is the future, what is the, how we can change the life of people for the better humanity, right? Uh, so that people don't need to die for ne unnecessary reasons, like having accident or having the disease or having the disaster, to protect human from all those you know, uh, uh, sadness is a good thing, right? So imagining those things and investing and create a group and having great product, great solution is exciting. And now today, you've come back and you have enormous net worth by any human standards, one of the richest men in the world. What do you do with all this money? Well, I haven't decided what to do. You haven't decided, but you're 60 years old now. You've got to decide at some point. Deciding how to spend with respect is more difficult than making money. That was a headache I had when I, when I you know, became so rich. You were the richest uh, man in the world. You had that headache, then you lost that headache. Now you've got it again, right? Do you have any plans to keep doing this for another 10 years or 20 years? Yeah. Uh, in my age of 19, I created 50 years my life plan. And in my age of 60s, from between 60 and 69, I would decide my successor and have my successor keep on running it. So in my next 10 years, I have to do that. Uh, but even after I find a successor and give him a baton to run as a captainship, I would probably stay working with him, coaching him, and uh, um, you know, as long as I live, probably I I I cannot give forget about this excitement. Your parents are still alive. They must be extremely proud of you. Well, they're they're actually very proud of me, and they are very happy. We are a happy family, and uh, you know, we don't live together, but they they call me occasionally, and and you know. My dad is a funny guy. He, he has a unique idea, crazy idea, and he always called me and said, Masa, I got an idea. You have to do this. <laughs> he, he knows everything I'm doing, and uh, he's, he's very creative, very smart, and he talks about business to me all the time. Now, you are Japanese, and, uh, but you're of Korean descent but you're different than most Japanese business people who are very um, consensus-oriented, not maybe as entrepreneurial as you are. Has that been a challenge for you in building up your business in Japan? Yeah, lots of challenge, but uh, the uniqueness is actually good. 
you know, if the pack of other people are this way, I am unique, I have more opportunity. So uh, the difficulty turn, if you flip over, become the advantage. So final question, if you could live your life over, an extraordinary story, is there anything you would do differently than you've done? I may, but uh, this is the life I'm enjoying so much that I would love to do it again. Uh, I was so lucky. I was so close to you know, fall down from the cliff. So I don't know how I can do it twice. Wow. <laughs> but, uh, but this is definitely an exciting life. I'm, I'm having fun. And that's it for this week's Decrypted. Thanks for listening. We always like to hear what you think of the show. Send us an email at decrypted at Bloomberg.net or on Twitter. I'm at Bradstone. And if you haven't already, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps new listeners find our show. This episode was produced by Pia Gadkari, Liz Smith, and Magnus Henriksen. The David Rubenstein Show, which provided excerpts for our podcast, was produced by Matthew Saul. You can watch the full interview at Bloomberg.com. Just look for the David Rubenstein show on our main navigation bar. We'll see you next week. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com.